And now, Virgin Most Powerful Radio is pleased to present Hands-On Apologetics with renowned Catholic author and apologist, Gary Machuda. And welcome, everybody, to Hands-On Apologetics. You have entered into Virgin Most Powerful's Apologetics Dojo. It is awesome to be with you today. And, indeed, we're going to have a really cool uh, episode of Hands-On Apologetics. Because on the other side of the break, Hugo Delgado of Hosanna in Excelsis channel on YouTube. As you know, he does a lot of Spanish-speaking apologetic videos and Lots of great stuff. I mean, it really is a a very, very good apologist in his own right. It's going to come on. We're going to talk about how to respond to a verse that Catholics are often confronted with by Protestants. And uh, sometimes it throws us a little bit off because we're not exactly sure how to handle a verse. And that is the verse that concerns our righteousness is as filthy rags and and uh, that sets up this whole idea of, um, uh, you know, total corruption of um, our natures um, so that all we can do is sin. There is uh, no goodness in us. And so we need the alien righteousness of Christ to be imputed to us. All that's set up by that verse. But but what does the verse mean? And more, even more importantly, how do we respond? How do we show the true and authentic meaning of that particular line. Well, Hugo Delgado is going to walk us through that. So I, I love it when we we focus, you know, super narrow on the show. Look at some specialty issues because I, I know many of us are confronted with things like this, and it's just again one of those tools that you can have in your tool uh, toolkit when it comes to explaining defending the faith. So that's going to be coming up on the other side of the break. So we're going to learn a lot about theology and everything else from that. And meanwhile, on this side of the break, we're going to do what we always do, namely sharpen our critical thinking skills and learn a little bit about the early church. And we do that through the Finding the Fallacy and the Meet the Early Church Fathers segments. Uh, Today's Finding the Fallacy, by the way, is called the Questionable Cause Fallacy. And um, we're also going to meet an early church father. I'm not sure this early church father would be very well known to people. I don't know. Maybe, he, you know, maybe there is a, uh, a lot of people who venerate him. <laughs> but is it St. Passion of Barcelona? So St. Passion of Barcelona. I'm probably not pronouncing that name right, but uh, that's how it looks to me. Uh, so, hey, we got lots of great stuff in store for us. And by the way, I want to give you all a heads up. As you know, William Albrecht and myself, we uh, co-run a channel on YouTube called the Apocrypha Apocalypse. And this channel, we dive in deep into the issues of the Old Testament canon, which, in my humble opinion, I think this is really the issue that separates Catholics and Protestants. And, And it's kind of a very fundamental issue, because if you get it wrong on which books belong in your Bible, if you're a Bible-only Christian, that's devastating, right? How do you know which books belong in the Bible? And what about those seven books that are found in Catholic and Orthodox Bibles that are omitted in modern Protestant Bibles, or at least most modern Protestant Bibles? 
Why are they rejected? Well, we dive into all those issues on the channel. And I just wanted to let you know that tonight, uh, 7.30 Eastern time, I'm not sure what that would be in Pacific time, but William Albrecht and myself are going to go live on the channel, and we're going to talk about this article that's been circulating that's uh, caused a lot of discussion on the Internet about did the Council of Trent really uh, make the Deuterocanon or declare that the Deuterocanon is fully canonical inspired scripture? And uh, there's uh, this article circling around that says, no, Trent really didn't decree it to be capable of confirming doctrine. So William Albrecht and myself are going to dive into that. We're going to tear it apart tonight. It's going to be a ton of fun. Again, it's on YouTube. All you have to do is type in Apocrypha Apocalypse or Gary Machuda, and uh, it should come up. And um, we'd love to have you on board. So if you want to see a live program. Um, let's see, anything else? No, I think that's good for uh, what's going on here in with the Sensei. Let's talk about the dojo. Welcome, everybody, to Hands-On Apologetics, including our live stream audience and also all of you listening on radio around the country and also via podcast around the world through our handy-dandy phone app or our flagship website, which is virginmostpowerfulradio.org, or through all the other uh, distributors and other feeds that are out there that distribute this program for our wide. I want to welcome all of you. And it's great that you're listening to us. I truly appreciate your support. Um, also, if you have a question for me, the best way to get a hold of me is through the official Dojo mailbox, which is questions at handsonapologetics.com. That comes directly to me, and I do get your emails. There are, I, you know, I have a couple of websites, handsonapologetics.com, garymachuda.com, uh, um, and there, there's even more out there that I don't run, but for some reason I get email through them. And I don't know if these other websites, if they hold on to the email or maybe people use that and it just doesn't come to me. So please, you know, stick with the genuine article. Please use uh, questions, hands on apologetics.com because I hate for you to, to, you know, have a problem you'd like to discuss or maybe talk about um, some of the things that... Um, are going on in your discussions and use one of these other uh, means and I don't get your email. I'd really feel feel bad about that because I'd love to help you if I can. So uh, let's see. I think we're all set. Okay, let's go to the finding of the fallacy then, which is the questionable cause fallacy. The questionable cause is also known as the false cause fallacy, or for you Latinists out there, it's also known as the non-causa pro-causa fallacy. And it's a, uh, it is a category of informal fallacies in which a cause is incorrectly identified. Therefore, uh, my going deep, in t uh, deep to sleep causes the sun to set. So the two events may coincide, but there is no causal connection between the two. It just so happens that those two things tend to happen around the same time. And the funny thing is, the older you get, you know, the, usually you're you're already wanting to go to bed before even the sun sets, especially in the summer. Uh, but this is important. It's always important not to look at correlations because many things sometimes correlate with other things. 
that's not sufficient to show any kind of dependency or cause. What you need is a real causal connection. And if you don't have that causal link, what you have is a conspiracy theory. And uh, that's usually what's missing. Uh, a great example, one of my favorite shows I love to watch is Curse of Oak Island. And every time, every now and then they'll bring on uh, one of those tinfoil hat people who will give all these speculations about, you know, who was on the island, what did they deposit on the island, all this other stuff. And it's it's all correlated things, but there's never any causal connection. So you get all these really very interesting, you know, scenarios that could possibly happen. The only problem is there's just no proof for it. And the reason is because they are committing today's finding the fallacy, which is the questionable cause fallacy. All right, let's move on to meet our early church father for today, who is St. Passion of Barcelona. St. Passion is the father of the Praetorian prefect Dexter, to whom St. Jerome dedicated his on the lives of illustrious men. He, had, uh, he was already dead when Jerome added him to his catalog in 392 A.D., but still flourishing in the time of Theodosius, who reign, uh, whose reign began in 379 A.D. Jerome notes that Passion bore the burden of the episcopacy in Barcelona and the Pyrenees and comments on his simple um, eloquence and personal integrity, saying also that his life was uh, even more illustrious than his words. Passion's authentic remains consist of three letters to an otherwise unknown novationist named Symporium and two sermons, one on penance and one on baptism. Passion is not especially an original thinker, says Jurgen's Faith and Early Fathers, but his writings have no small importance as an early testimony in the area of baptismal theology and penitential practice. His style is truly delightful, and it is unfortunate that his writings are not more readily accessible or and uh, more widely read. So, um, so he has three letters to the Novo Novationist uh, Cyprian, and uh, this grouping of three letters into a single work is quite artificial, but it's convenient. And all the letters are on the same subject, the defense of Catholicism, and its penitential doctrines as opposed to novationism, and its uh, a refusal to grant forgiveness of sins committed after baptism. Three letters seem to be grouped in their correct chronological order. And, um, yeah, I, uh, he's probably most famous for a line in these letters, uh, which he says, Christian is my name and Catholic is my surname. The one designates me while the other makes me specific. Thus I am attested and set apart. When we are called Catholics, it is by this appellation that our people kept apart from any heretical name. So that that's a very famous quote, you know, Christian is my name, Catholic is my surname. And that comes from today's early church father, St. Passion of Barcelona. All right, here's the music coming up. That means we're going to take a break. But when we come back, we're going to be chatting with Hugo Delgado. We're going to dive into that passage about righteousness being as a guilty Stay tuned.
Now, back to Hands-On Apologetics with Gary Machuda. If you'd like to join the conversation, call 888-526-2151. Here's Gary. And welcome back, everybody, to Hands-On Apologetics. Well, you know, we've, uh, as we talk to our separated brethren, often Bible verses are thrown at us that sometimes we're not really sure how to handle and uh, we're going to address one of those Bible verses in this program with Hugo Delgado. Hugo, as you know, runs an amazingly popular and uh, informative channel called Hosanna in Excelsis on YouTube, in which he engages in Catholic apologetics, uh, mainly in the Spanish language. And uh, he's uh, been on several debates. He's also... Uh, has produced lots of great videos, not only on apologetics, but also just Bible studies and other great information. So check it out. Uh, YouTube, Hosanna in Excelsis, and Hugo Delgado. Welcome back to Hands-On Apologetics. Hi, Gary. Uh, thanks for having me. Can you hear me well? Oh, yes, I can hear you. Excellent. Yeah, it's a yes. pleasure being here again. Yeah, absolutely. It's always great to have you on the show. Uh, of course, you're in Texas, so I imagine your weather is a lot better than up here in Michigan. <laughs> it's it's really nice today. Oh, I, yeah. Rub it I'm in. I'm really happy. <laughs> okay. What's the temp? Tell me. I think it's like uh, 67, which is just perfect for me. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah. I think it's like in the 20s or 30s. Over Oof. And, yeah. And no, I, that's what I love, Texas, Gary. <laughs> yeah so um yeah you you run such a great channel and a, a channel i think that's really needed especially you know with spanish language uh, apologetics and uh so uh what we're going to talk about today is a verse that's often cited against catholics and i think a lot of us really don't know how to respond because it's it's just it, it's a kind of strange verse isn't it it is it is very strange and it's um we're talking about isaiah 64 6 right and one of the reasons is being used against catholics is because we catholics believe that our good works have salvific merit when we're in grace but very unfortunate some of our protestant friends and i think because of this idea of uh, forensic justification they think that even though we have been pronounced uh, just we're still sinners and anything we do is just sinful. And our good works just are offensive to God. That's what Luther said. And, and basically, uh, also Calvin had uh, this idea that, you know, we're so, uh, you know, so uh, flooded by sin and affected by sin that nothing that we can do can even, like, uh, please God in any way. So, so we have this divide between Catholics and Protestants. One of the... the, the the proof test that they will typically use. And I remember they using that with me when I was uh, becoming, trying to become Catholic, you know, they coming to me, a friend of mine and saying like, hey, but, you know, Isaiah says that we have all become like one who's unclean and all our righteous deeds are like a filthy cloth. And and how can you think that your good works are going to take you to heaven if God like, I mean, all our righteous deeds are like filthy cloth. So how, how can you say that you know, good works are meritorious and that you can get anything anywhere with good works. So I think that was what, that was the challenge. And and I think we're going to tackle that because I think it, it's it's based on a really, really bad understanding of the Bible, of the new covenant, 
And and I think, uh, I mean, first of all, I mean, he's talking to the Jews, right? Like he's talking to the Jews that are like, a, you know, so deep into idolatry. And, and you know, when the Jews are in the sin, uh, everything that they do is going to be sinful. And, and, and that's, that's pretty much the context. And I think the problem with our Protestant friends is that they're trying to bring that context to a, uh, you know, like, Christ came, he brought the new covenant and the new covenant, the new covenant brings some things that's going to create a renewal in us. So basically the, 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 the way I can, I, I can handle this, we can handle this verse in two ways, like the easy way. I'll show you what's the easy way, but there is a more profound way. There is a way that is just more wise. There is a way that just makes a lot of sense. And basically when I was doing this, uh, I, I, I had a, a YouTube a program that it lasted like one hour, but it was so, so successful in the sense that many people were like, well, that makes a lot of sense. You know, in other words, like the, the Protestant position just doesn't make any sense at all. So, yeah. Yeah. In fact, you can see how that verse really fits in with uh, the general perspective of Protestants. I mean, Martin Luther said that even our best works were at least venial sins. So, so if our best works are venial sins, obviously nothing we do is pleasing to God. And uh, so, you know, if you just take that verse apart from the context and different ways you're going to look at it, it does sound a little bit like what Luther was saying. Right. So, uh, right. So, uh, so let's unpack that. Yeah. And I think at some point he's got, I mean, he's right in the sense that that's true for the old covenant because we did not have grace. We did not have the spirit. We didn't have the circumcision of the heart that we see in uh, in the Deuteronomy 30, and we didn't have the spirit that you know it's been uh, prophesied by by uh, in this case Ezekiel. So it's true, but when you miss part of the whole story, right? And 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 I think that's the big deal, Gary. Is like for some reason our Protestant friends tend to use they do theology first. And they make everything fit into it. And I think the way to do this is we need to read the Bible in its totality, understand what's going on, and then do theology with that. But I think what they do is they just try to pick stuff and just trying to make it fit or whatever fits in their theology. But we know that the Bible has like an old covenant that's in the Old Testament, and we have the new covenant. And with the new covenant, there's like so many blessings and so many good things that come to our lives, right? And we as Catholics have, you know, like many of those access to those uh, sacramental graces. We not only have baptism, we have the Eucharist and we have some others, but also Paul is very clear in, in Romans 2 that there is going to be a circumcision of the heart. And that when you go back to the prophets and then you see, for instance, uh, uh, the, the prophecies in Ezekiel 36, it talks about like, you know, all our uncleanness is going to be taken out. And when you see that, you are like, okay, so I'm part of the new covenant. So some of these things are not going to apply to us because we have Christ. And I don't know, Gary, why our Protestant friends tend to forget that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it is weird that they would put, quote an Old Testament verse against or to uh, refute a New Testament Christian. You know, some, <laughs> yeah, something's that, wrong there somewhere is, yeah yeah but, but you know you know what i found and i'm gonna give the the short answer here so so basically 
And I think I learned this from you, Gary, like uh, whenever someone comes with a, you know, a proof test that supposedly teach something against Catholicism, we need to read the context because we're probably going to find something very close there that is going to support the Catholic position. And this is so close that you just go back one verse and then you go to Isaiah uh, 64.5. And basically in that verse is just basically saying that um, that he, uh, God comes to the encounter with he that, that he that does or practices righteousness. So just right there, just right there, just go back one verse and then you're going to see how the Bible it's itself, um, you know, refuting the Protestant position because how come God can come to the, you know, like to the presence of he who rejoices in practicing or doing righteousness? And, you know, Gary, I have become like a very, very fond reader of the Septuagint. And in the Septuagint, you have the word is, you know, doing justice. And when you have that doing justice, I mean, it, it's so clear. God rejoices. I mean, God accepts those who practice and do justice. So how can God, you know, like accept that who practices justice? And the, and, and the next verse, he can say that, you know, he doesn't accept those who have like these uh, righteous words. Well, because they are sinful. They are in sin. They don't have the grace. They don't have that forgiveness that we do have because of the work of Christ. And and that's that's it, Gary. I mean, it's, it's not that God doesn't like our good works. He loves our good works, but we need to be in a state of grace. We need to have Christ in our hearts. And, and when we do that, there is just no reason we need to, as you said, to apply this verse to us at this point in the new covenant yeah absolutely yeah i have my logos program fired up and i'm highlighting the septuagint you're absolutely right it says do righteousness yeah and then uh, he uses the word poieo which yep. as you will see i'm like a lover of the septuagint and then you will see that when you take those two words poieo which in this case is like practice or do and the Kaios or the Kaiosuni, and you put them together, that means that God is asking to practice righteousness. And that righteousness can be, of course, reflected in good works, in good acts. But the, now that you have the logos there, Gary, then we're going to go and do a little bit of, uh, you know, walk through some other passages. If you have Ezekiel, Okay. One, one second, there. Hugo. Before yeah. I, uh, before we continue, in case anybody's following in their Bibles, the versification is a little different too. So this uh, it could be Isaiah sixty four verse four and five that we're right. looking at, or right. it could be five and six depending on your translation. So just in case right. somebody opens up their Bible and they can't see what we're talking about, I just want to clarify that. I'm sorry. Exactly, but let's just, and this one I think is the same for the Septuagint that for the, the, the regular Bibles. Let's go to Isaiah 56.1, and this is really good, Gary, okay. because in Isaiah 56.1, and I think I'm reading from the, uh, the RSEB, the Catholic edition, it says, like, thus says the Lord, maintain justice and do what is right. That word, do what is right, if you have your, your uh, Logos software there, is the word poieyo, and the word is dikaiosuni, right? And exactly the same words that we were looking at, Isaiah. So God is saying, 
to us, to everyone, to his people, do what is right, do righteousness. And not only that, look at this. He says, for soon my salvation will come and my righteousness shall be revealed. And if you go and open Romans 1.17, what do you find? That the gospel of God is the righteousness that will be revealed. So you see how that relates to the new covenant? God loves us to do righteousness. So there is no reason for a Protestant brethren to say that, you know, God takes all the righteous deeds as, uh, you know, like uh, as uh, dirty uh, clothes, because we know that he wants us to do that. But there has to be something there in us that has changed. We need to be that that will mean the forgiveness of sins that we receive when we get baptized. And that will mean also the fact that we are in grace, in a state of grace. And of course, when we are there, God is pleased with us doing righteousness. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so apparently, um, yeah, didn't God know that our righteousness is as filthy rags and we can't do righteousness? Right. Uh, that, that's that's very funny. Uh, we're chatting with Hugo Delgado of Hosanna in Excelsis channel on YouTube, talking about uh, Isaiah and uh, righteousness. Stay tuned. This is Jesse Romero. You're listening to Hands-On Apologetics with Gary Machuda on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. And welcome back, everybody. We are chatting with Hugo Delgado, and we're diving deep in the scripture, and specifically this idea of righteousness being as filthy rags. And uh, if you missed the last segment, folks, you definitely want to get a hold of it and listen to it again, because uh, already some awesome points made in regards to the passage. So, Hugo, um, yeah, I'll just let you take it wherever you want from here. Yeah, so so basically we were, uh, to summarize where we are at, you know, we're we are being accused that our filthy rags are like, um, you know, uh, all our righteous deeds are like filthy rags. So that, that means for our, some of our Protestant brethren that everything that we do is just, God is, is not accepted and is not righteous. But what we're seeing here is there are like so many passages and even one passage before that, that affirm that God wants us to do righteousness. Right. And, and the, we were focusing on two Greek words, poieo and dikaiosune. And we start like to see even from Isaiah that we have passages that talk about that. Right. But there is one very interesting that pretty much supports the, the, the position that I'm holding here and, uh, you know, shows that this uh, accusation has like no grounds. So if you go to Ezekiel 18:27. Uh, in the RSEV, the, the Catholic Bible says, again, when the wicked turn away from the wickedness and they have committed and do what is lawful and right, they shall save their life. So when you turn from your sin and you do righteousness, you will save your life. And what do we have here? The same words, Gary, if you have your Logos Bible uh, software there, then you will have the same words, poyeyo, do and the Kayosune righteousness. So here, the Lord is telling us that he's pleased when we turn to him, even if we have been sinners. So again, what is the issue here? Is that when we do good works, but we're in sin, everything we do is tainted. In, in uh, Isaiah, in the first passage that we were reading, what they show is that God was saying that we were like impure. 
and the work in uh, in the in the Hebrew was Tamea, uh, and then that means that it's like when you have sinned, it's like you cannot get close to the presence of God. What's the meaning of being impure in the in the um, in the Old Testament, right? When you have uh, anything to do with the temple, if you were impure, you could you couldn't approach the presence of God. You had to be clean to to approach the presence of God. But basically, I think what the passage is really saying is that when we are in sin, there is nothing we can do. We we, we just need to stop sinning before uh, trying to do good works, right? Or or trying to 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 do anything because that they are going to be tainted, and that fits perfectly with this idea that we have as Catholics that we need to be in sanctifying grace. If we are in sanctifying grace, like the things that we do have merit, salvific merit for God, and that's the righteousness that he wants from us. Because I need to emphasize, Gary, he, God, wants us to do righteousness. And that is so clear when you read the Old Testament, and particularly when you read the Septuagint, the Greek version of the Old Testament. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, so, I mean, now, usually, correct me if I'm wrong, but usually non-Catholics, what, when they appeal to uh, righteousness as filthy rags, is that they, they suggest that this is an impossibility, right? Right. That is like holding up an impossible standard that no one can make. And so I think those passages that you brought up show you that, no, this is a real possibility. Yeah, but Gary, you know what? That the funny thing is, it's not me saying that, and it's not only me quoting from the Old Testament. I, I, I mean, look, if we go to the first John three seven, mm-hmm. New Testament passage, the apostle, the inspired apostle, saying, "Little children, let no one deceive you. Everyone who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous." And you know what, Gary? When you go to the Greek. What words do appear there? Poyeyo and dikaiosune. The same exact words. So in other words, John the Apostle is saying, let no one deceive you. Everyone who does righteousness, we can translate it like that. Everyone who does righteousness is righteous, just as he, God, is righteous. So here you have it. It's not us Catholics. It's not me thinking and just quoting from the Septuagint. No, is a fact of the matter of the new covenant. That's what we have. We have been renewed. We have been given the grace. We have received the spirit. We have the circumcision of the heart. That's why our sins have been forgiven. And now we have new, you are, we're a new creation. And since we're a new creation, we're called to be righteous. That's exactly what the apostle is saying, right? So again, uh, when, when they come and say like that all are righteous uh, deeds are like filthy rags, and they apply to the new covenant. How are you going to reconcile that with what John is saying here? Right, right, right. Exactly. Yeah. So obviously, uh, yeah, it's uh, that we actually can do deeds that are righteous and pleasing to God. And this isn't just good deeds for others, right? That's another thing that yeah, you could do things that so that people know that you're righteous. You know, that namely, you've been saved by faith alone. But I love that last part, just as that one is righteous. Right. Just as he is righteous. Right. So he transforms us in such a way that, you know, we become like him. That's why he makes the comparison. He makes the symbol to, to, to God himself. So I think I think that uh, when I start reading again, sometimes, and it's very unfortunate, the translations don't let you see the details, what's going on underneath and how 
probably many of these passages have been like taken directly from the from the Old Testament, you know, because they say they use the same words, they use the same construction, and it's the same ideas that keep popping up in, in, in these passages. So I think that's that's very important. And I think it goes back also to one of my favorite passages when I have this discussion with Protestants, which is Romans 2.13, which says like the doers of the law will be justified. And the doers, the, I'm, I'm talking about Romans 2.13, the word doers uses the verb poyeo. And justify is the same word, you know, dikaiusune. So I think here you have it, same terms. Sometimes the translation you miss because of the translation, but those are the sort of ideas that they had in mind as Jews living in the first, you know, in the first century and having all these contexts of the Old Testament, all these ideas of the new covenant, of the renewal of the heart, all these prophecies that came from the Old Testament are, you know, are uh, pretty much like, uh, uh, you know, made manifest when Christ comes because of his death and resurrection. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And um, yeah, so uh, they, what, how, how do I want to say this? So in a way, it's. Uh, they're trying to discount, well, I wouldn't even put it that way, but um, they're trying to set the bar for righteousness so high that it's impossible for us to do it. So therefore, you have to have plan B where Christ does it for us and we can still live unrighteous lives, but we're still acceptable to God. Where these passages speak about that we really can do things that are pleasing to God. Yeah. Can you hear me, Gary? Because I had like a little yeah. issue with my network. Can you hear me well? Oh, good. Yes, okay. I can. Yep. Yeah. So, I yeah, I think, and I, and I think you, you mentioned at the beginning, it's like, first of all, when a Protestant brother and sister, he comes with an Old Testament proof test, we need always to look at the New Testament, how the New Testament interprets those old texts, how, how we can read that in light of Christ, right? Because one thing is the Jews, and I just love, Gary, I just love so much this line in the spirit of the letter in St. Augustine, in which he said, like, you know, the law was given, so they might seek grace. Now, grace has been given, so we might fulfill the law. So we cannot compare. I mean, we're talking about two different things. The Old Testament didn't have the grace that we do have in the, in, in, in the, new, te- in the, new, in the new covenant. And, and you cannot compare. I mean, there are like two different uh, settings right so so you have to be yeah. very careful when you apply everything that's old testament and i think that's one problem also the problem with the use of the law the torah how paul uses it people get like extremely confused with that and they tend to think that he's always referring to the to the law in general or only referring to the torah but he, he he's going beyond that he's talking about the the torah but also talking about the law of christ so you have to be make those distinctions. And I think that's one of the reasons these conversations tend to become like a little bit difficult. And, uh, you know, I, I do a lot of work in my channel trying to explain people these distinctions. But when people make those distinctions, uh, everything flows. And you know what, Gary, everything makes sense in the Bible. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's funny. If you miss that one piece, uh, then you uh, you just run into all these different tensions all over the place. You have James against Paul and yeah. Jesus against Paul and yeah. all these other tensions arise. Yeah, 
Yeah, and particularly you read the book of Romans and you don't have that clarity, like for instance, with the law, when Paul is talking about the new law and when he's talking about the old law or the Jewish law, you are going to get like extremely confused, you know, and, and then you're, it, things are not going to make sense. And as you said, you're going to have a, you're going to have to create a theology just to make it fit, but things are not going to fit. They're going to be very forced. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and it's not for without reason that the epistles of Peter single out the writings of Paul as particularly difficult to understand. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's right. You well, really Gary, let, do me, your homework. Let, me, let me show you something that as I was doing and I, I was preparing this this, uh, this episode in my channel, something that blew my mind off, you know, because, I mean, we've been talking about like this passage and it, it talks about like being impure um, because of the, the that that impurity looks like the filthy rags, right? But mm-hmm. one of I was I was doing I was doing some research, and I found a passage that resembled that, and that passage was in Ezekiel. Of course, my one of my favorite channels, Ezekiel thirty six, and it, when when I go to Ezekiel thirty six verse seventeen, look at what he says. He says, "Mortal, when the house of Israel live on their own soil, they defiled it with their ways and their deeds." Their conduct in my sight was like the uncleanness of a woman in her menstrual period. And he's using the same word for defilement, for impurity, that he used in Ezekiel 64, uh, 6, that we just looked recently. And when we come back, I'm going to explain how important it is, the fact that that, those exact words are coming back in Ezekiel, because we're going to see what Ezekiel wants to tell us about how this is going to change in the new covenant. Awesome. All right. We're chatting with Hugo Delgado. Diving into Isaiah and Ezekiel. More to come right after this. Now, back to Hands-On Apologetics with Gary Machuda. If you'd like to join the conversation, call 888-526-2151. Here's Gary. And welcome back, everybody. Hands-on apologetics. And, uh, boy, I love it when we dive deep into Scripture, and that's exactly what we're doing with Hugo Delgado of Hosanna in Excelsis on YouTube. And uh, we're looking at this idea of our righteousness being as filthy rags. And, folks, if you've missed the last couple of segments, you need to go back, get your Bibles, and follow along because this is great stuff. So, all right, Hugo, if you don't mind, maybe you could set it up again a little bit with Ezekiel and then we're just yeah. through us. Yeah, but before we, we dip into Ezekiel, I just want to remind you that we started this talking about Isaiah 64, 6, and it started saying, like, we have all become like one who is unclean. And we're talking about the word tame in the Hebrew, right? And it's being unclean, like ritually unclean. And I want to focus and point that out and the fact that he's talking about a filthy cloth that was at the time, you know, seen like as, you know, like a, a, women used to, to, to clean her, her um, you know, the, her, um, the blood from her menstrual cycle with a, with a cloth. And that's what was like the context of being unclean, you know. Uh, but, but, the, but the thing is this, when we go to Ezekiel, we're going to start like finding the same words and the same concepts there. And I tell you that we should go and uh, go to Ezekiel 36, one of my favorite chapters in the whole Bible. And verse 17. So it says again, I'm going to read it. Mortal, when the house of Israel live on their soil, they defiled it. And here we have a word that has to do with ritual purity. 
defiled. With their ways and their deeds, they conduct in my sight was like the uncleanness of a woman in her menstrual period, right? Mm -hmm. So basically what he's saying is that there was sin. There was the sin of idolatry and all sort of sins that, you know, went against the covenant that they had with God. And God was, of course, uh, you know, not really happy. And the hiccups, he keeps going and, uh, you know, there is this famous line there in Ezekiel, like three verses later, says, but when they came to the nations, wherever they came, they profaned my holy name. And it was said of them, these are the people of the Lord. And yet they had to go out of his land. But I had concern for my holy name, which the house of Israel had profaned among the nations when they came. So this is very important. The sin has made them to profane the name of God because other nations were looking at them and were saying, like, is this the people of God? But look, you know, they're in exile. So that was God is explaining that that was a profanation of his holy name. So we're talking about sin. We're talking about being defiled. But here comes what is just, again, one of the most important passages in the Old Testament, the promise of a renewal, the promise of the new covenant. And that new covenant is going to bring some really, really benefits. Like if you go to uh, verse 25, it says, I will sprinkle sprinkle clear water upon you and you shall be clean from uh, from all your uncleannesses and from all your idols I will cleanse you and this is so important because the, the church fathers were looking at this passage as you know related with baptism and we know that all our sins all our impurity is clean at, at baptism but what is really interesting Gary if you see the words is he's talking about uncleanness, right? And what was the issue with Isaiah when we're looking at Isaiah? It was like, we have all become as one who's unclean, right? But mm -hmm. here the prophecy is saying that something is going to happen so that we're going to be clean of that impurity. And I think that is so important. And look at what comes, he said, like a new heart I will give you and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove from your body the heart of stone. I will give you the heart of uh, of heart of flesh and we know that Paul talks a lot about that circumcision of the heart that change in the heart you can see that in Romans 2 you can see that in 2 Corinthians 3 and all this theme in scripture you know that our heart is going to be renewed but it not only comes with a renewal but it only also comes with the being clean you know being ritually pure being allowed to access the presence of God and we know that we're the temple of God right but we want to be perfect vessels so that the presence of God can come in here. And what I want to say here to the end is like these passages, they are like so related, so related, but we cannot read them only in light of the Old Testament in the Old Covenant. We need to read them in light of Christ and what all the benefit that he's brought upon us. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's great. So even within that very same chapter where he's talking about this water that will purify us, the reception of the, the Spirit that will cause us to keep his commandments, uh, you have that reference to uh, the uh, you know the Jews that were in idolatry and uh, that same kind of defilement that's mentioned in Isaiah. So that's, that's great how you string all of those together. Yeah, and one, one objection will be, and I've heard this, like some people saying, like, yeah, but you know, that's a prophecy for the Jews. But you know what? When he said, when, when, when God said, like, these are my people, and that exact, those exact words are referred to in by Paul in that Second Corinthians 
chapter six, at the very end, he quotes exactly from Ezekiel 36. And you know who's referring? He, he's referring to the Corinthians. He's not referring to Jews. He's referring to Corinthians that are, are not circumcised, that they're not under the old covenant. They are under the new covenant. So Paul is reformulating this and applying this to all the people that now believe in Christ. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it's a prophecy, right? It's a prophecy it about is. baptismal regeneration. Yes, exactly. Yeah, very good. And, and that baptismal regeneration is what brings us the ability not to be unclean anymore, right? Because the problem mm -hmm. with, with Isaiah 64 is that he was saying that we have be all become like one who's unclean. Okay, if you are unclean in Judaism, how do you clean yourself? You have to go to the temple, offer a uh, sacrifice, but we don't have that in the new covenant. So how do we do that? We do that through the sacraments. And that's exactly as you mentioned, as you said, that's the baptism and that's the water that's reflected there. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, very good. Uh, yes, there's so many uh, different connections that we can make too. Yeah, uh, but at the, very, at the end, Gary, what I'm trying to show in my programs is like when a Protestant comes and makes an accusation, Sometimes it just goes against them, right? And then you can start showing that it's just like a really bad reading of scripture. And and when you look at scripture as a whole, then and you have the big picture, those passages make perfect sense from a Catholic perspective, right? And and, and, and the Catholic perspective, that big difference is grace. And grace not seen only as forgiveness of sins, but grace being seen as the ability to be righteous, to be truly righteous because we have been transformed and we're a new creation. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, I, I'm, usually when non-Catholics will try to evangelize Catholics, they just assume that you're not Christian. And so they'll bring out all these verses concerning the condition of non-Christians like in Isaiah. Yeah. Uh, forgetting the fact that you know, we we are Christians, and, and we partake of the new covenant. We have the Spirit, and our sins are forgiven. And we, but they also miss that whole aspect of doing righteousness, which yeah, uh, you yeah. point not, out. Not, really not, well. not to mention all the uh, all the sacramental aspects, right? That yeah, we have received right. not only Christ and we believe in Christ, but we have received the Spirit to the sacraments too. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah, I love that passage from Ezekiel as well, because you could pivot off it so many different ways, you know, as yeah. an apologist. Yeah. In fact, one of the things that I noticed, if and we can do another program on this, is like when you think about the Our Father, who are in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Those words appear in the Septuagint in this section in a way that God said, like, I have concern for my name, which is going to be sanctified by you or among you. And when I read that, I was like, wow, that's exactly what the Our Father, the, the Lord's Prayer said, you know. So it, it, it has like, that's one, it's one of my favorite chapters in the whole, in the, in the whole Old Testament. It has so much, so much scary. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, uh, and that's why, you know, Catholics, we got to study our Bibles and uh, learn the context of passages. And like Hugo pointed out, you know, whenever somebody cites a passage, you got to look in the context because... Just like we saw in the program, I mean, you just go a verse or two earlier and you find out, no, that can't be the true meaning because that otherwise the inspired author is contradicting themselves. Right. And, and you know, I mean, if, if anyone wants to start, I didn't know any Greek, Gary, three years ago. I started by myself and I've been working my way through the Greek little by little. But it makes a big difference just to see everything in the original language and see all these connections that are so beautiful. 
yeah. because the scripture is beautiful. It's so deep. And we as Catholics have all the tools to enjoy it in a way that it's going to be impossible for for, for our Protestant brethren, unfortunately. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So we have something we can bring to the table at Bible studies and conversations, uh, definitely from our faith. Well, Hugo, uh, we got a few minutes left, and I, I'd really like to highlight your channel because you do such great work there. And I know a lot of people that listen to this program are uh, speak Spanish, and maybe they know people that only know Spanish. And so I, I want to refer them to your channel because of uh, this great stuff you're doing. So what's the channel name? And tell us a little bit about what you're yeah, doing Yeah, it's in, ex- in Excelsis. I do like uh, shows every week probably like Bible study or apologetics. But this weekend, we're going to have a very special program because we're going to have like five or the greatest like apologists in Spanish-speaking world joining me for a session about like, it's going to be called like, why do we love being Catholics? And we have like former New Age people like me, converts from the New Age, converts from atheism, converts from Protestantism. And uh, probably like you will see there, like some of the most recognized uh, faces in the apologetics world in Spanish speaking language. So it's going to be so much fun. Um, I am anticipating that in my channel. It's going to be uh, over this, this Saturday at night, 930 uh, Central Time. And yeah, I'm pretty excited. It's going to be like really good. And I know that a lot of people is going to join and enjoy. Why do we love our Catholic faith? All right. Yeah. Give us a couple of names. Uh, so I have like Dante Urbina. He's 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 absolutely brilliant uh, economist and he he's a domestic guy. He's done like tons of debates against Muslims, against atheists. Very well known, published a lot. One of the best. I mean, the best of the best, I would say, in the world uh, of apolog- Catholic apologetics. And I have also Jose Plasencia, who has like uh, the deposit of faith. Uh, the, the Fate of the Church is a channel in Spanish. He's got like 50,000 subscribers, very well known, has done debates, really nice guy. He he um, works at the, for the, the Diocese of Phoenix. So it's going to be so much fun. So it's going to be such a big event, and I'm, I'm pretty excited. I want to invite everyone who speaks Spanish just to join us over this weekend in my channel, Hosanna in Excelsis. Yeah, absolutely. So you, you get your... Uh... That's your action plan, folks, if you know anybody, especially those who maybe uh, don't know English and can't access stuff that we do here on Hands-On Apologetics. Go to Hosanna and Excelsis, and you said, what about, what time in? Uh... It's, it's 9.30, Texas, 8, 8, 8 p.m. Texas time. Okay, so. very good. All right, Hugo, thank you so much for coming on the show. We appreciate it. Thank you, Gary. All right, Hugo Delgado, check it out. Hosanna and Excelsis. Man, the hour has flown. Coming up next. We're going to have high-impact Catholic talk coming at you with the Terry and Jesse Show. Thank you so much for listening. And it's time for me to shut down the Midwest Command Center, turn off the dojo lights. God willing, we'll be back again tomorrow to do this thing we call Hands-On Apologetics. Bye-bye, everybody.